0: So I want to take some time and I want to, we're going to talk about uh, baptism because in talking about baptism, we're, we're talking about the gospel, right? And so the scripture reveals that Christ is our life. How many of you understand this? Uh, if you've been through the not Christ study, you have a better understanding of this. But a lot of times people think that, that I have a life, there's Jesus and then I have a life and I have my own life and God's up in heaven and he's just kind of looking over me, helping me live My life. No. That's not what the gospel teaches us. The gospel teaches that that my life, if I'm born again, I want you to hear me. If I've been born again, if I've been saved by the blood of the Lamb, then my life has been put away. Or here's how the Bible says it. It's been crucified with Christ. I've been buried with Christ. So my life is put away. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. So the life, as the life of the believer is not your own life. The life of the believer is Christ. Christ is the life of the believer. The only way as a believer we have life is to have the life of Christ. We have become partakers of his life. There are not two separate lives here. There's not Jeff's life and the life of Jesus. Jeff's life has been swallowed up by the life of Jesus. Jeff's life has been put away. The life I now live is the life of Christ. It's Christ in me. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. This isn't a formula to live by. This isn't just about, you know, getting all your ducks in a row and making sure you're going A to Z in the right order so that you'll be blessed by God and That's not what this is about. And so, why does the Bible command us to be baptized? There are some who believe baptism saves you. The scripture, I believe, is very clear that baptism does not save us. Well, if baptism doesn't save us, then why are we commanded to be baptized? You have a Bible. Everybody hold your Bible up, okay? If you got a Bible, there's one in front. Okay. Now in your Bible, depending on what Bible you have, I've got a New King James Version. You have your Bible divided into two sections. One's called the Old Testament, one's called the New Testament. Some people believe that one speaks of the Old Covenant and one speaks of the New Covenant. But the reality is all of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, speaks of really ultimately one covenant. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Jesus didn't show up at Matthew 1.1. Jesus was there at Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created. And we know Jesus was there at Genesis 1-1 and before because this is what the Scripture, the New Testament, in multiple places teaches us. Matter of fact, John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he goes on and says, there is nothing that's created that was not created apart from him. He was in the beginning with God. And all things that are came by him, through him, and for him. Jesus, this eternal word of God. So water baptism is the sign of entrance into the new covenant. It's not the sign of our salvation. If water baptism was the sign of our salvation, then baptism would save us. Water baptism, like circumcision, speaks of... The expectation of faith. So what was the sign of the covenant in the Old Testament? Well, if you go to the Old Testament, you see that Israel was commanded to do what? Circumcise their young men as a sign of the covenant. Well, if baptism is not the sign of salvation, then what is the sign of our salvation? Well, the sign of our salvation is faith. Faith is the sign of our salvation and saving faith is a gift of grace given by God. Faith, your faith is the sign of your salvation. Your faith, your trust, your love of God, your trust of God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, so much so that it has transformed your life. That is the sign of your salvation. The writer uh, in the book of James, James writes he says, Look, you, you tell me about your faith, but I'll show you my faith by my works. And James is not saying that you're saved by works. James is saying, you know what? The proof of my faith is that something has happened in my life. The transformation of my life is proof that my faith is real. So faith is the sign of our salvation, and saving faith is a gift. It's a gift of grace given to us by God. So 1 John 4, 8 says, God is love. And Romans 5, 5 says, love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Now, when we read the word love, I told someone the other day, I said, you know, in English, we only have one word for love. But in Greek, I can think of of, uh, three right off the bat. Eros, phileo, and agape. Erotic love, brotherly love, and agape love, or we call it the God kind of love, unconditional love. And when the Bible talks about this love, God is love. God's not eros. God is not just phileo. God is agape. God is the unconditional God kind of love. Love is a person. Love is not just emotion. It's a person. God is love. And love, agape, that love, that God has been poured into our hearts. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Paul writes in Romans 5.5. 5. Paul makes this declaration among many others about love in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 8. He says, love never. You know why love never fails? Because God never fails. (laughs) Because God is love. So faith is the sign of our salvation. Salvation by grace through faith is an eternal work of God in the believer. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It's not of works lest any man should boast. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Or Philippians 1.6, He who has begun a good work in you will, not might, but will, complete it, even until the day of Jesus Christ. Believer, you have assurance of your salvation today because God has promised what He has begun in you, He will complete in you. Because the work's not of you, the work is of Him. It's not how much equity do you have? It's not how much willpower do you have? It's not how much strength do you have to finish your salvation? In Christ, your salvation is already finished. And your faith testifies of a finished salvation. And the eternal Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. So baptism is not the sign of our salvation. Faith is the sign of our salvation. Baptism speaks of an expectation of that faith. So at 23, I got baptized. I had already come to faith in Christ. My baptism, that was ba- I got baptized right there in that baptism. My baptism didn't save me. I'm sorry, I wasn't 23. I was, 24. My baptism didn't save me. My baptism spoke of something. Now I could talk about my faith, and I could get baptized. And if my faith, if my life did not manifest the fruit of faith, the transformation of faith, how? empty do you think my baptism would have been had I just got dunked in the water and gone about my merry way and just lived my life the way I wanted to live it. And I said, oh, well, I'm saved because I got baptized. Really? No. I'm not saved because I got baptized. I'm saved because something supernatural happened by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. My baptism speaks of that thing. and My baptism doesn't stop speaking the moment I come out of the water. My baptism continues to speak all of my life. If I walk out of this building today and I take off this microphone and I lay down my Bible and I get in my car and I drive off and I depart from serving the Lord and I just go and I live my own life and I never come back to faith in Christ, you guys better be asking some questions about Pastor Jeff. And don't say, because Pastor Jeff was baptized when he was 24, he's okay, thank God he got baptized. No, because if my baptism stops speaking, it's not that I'm saved by works, it's that my baptism speaks of a work that God, not me, not you, it speaks of a work that God has promised that He will perform and that He will not stop performing that work even until the day of Jesus Christ. You know why I'm not going to set my Bible down and walk off these doors and drive off into the sunset to do whatever I want to do and leave God behind? I can't. Well, I, I could, but I trust the promise of God. God has made a promise. His promise is Eternal. My will, my emotions, they can change. But the promise of God cannot change. So Brian, today when you get baptized, I want you to understand that you're not saved because you got baptized. You're saved because God made an eternal promise to you. That the work he has begun in you, he will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And any one of us could stray, could veer off the path, take a detour into darkness or whatever. But here's the promise of God. God is a good shepherd and God is not going to allow his sheep to get lost and remain lost. If you're his sheep, though you may take a detour into darkness, the good shepherd is going to come get you. Now, I don't know how long your detour may last. I don't know what it may look like. I don't know how deep, how dark, how difficult, how horrid it may be. But here's what I know. I know what God has declared in His Word. So parents, friends, family, if you've got people in your life that have veered, that have detoured, you pray for them. You declare the promises of God over them. Your prayers and your declaration of promises are not incantations or magical spells that you're praying over them No, you're declaring the word of God. You're declaring the promise of God. As you grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, we need to grow in the grace and the knowledge, not only of who Jesus is, but who Jesus is is defined by this word. It's defined by the promises he's made. Who is Jesus? He's a faithful God. He's a God who begins a work and completes a work. He's not a God who begins a work and says, you know what, you're just a loser. I'm giving up on you. No, that's not who God is. God is a faithful God. Our Savior is a faithful Savior. We're not saved because of what we do. We're saved because of what He has done in Jesus Christ. This is why baptism is not the sign of our salvation, but faith is. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's read verses 12 through 18. Let's talk a little bit about baptism in the covenant. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12. Now I say this: that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank you that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanas. What does that mean? Last week we baptized two babies. That was probably out there for some of you guys. What's it mean that he baptized the household of Stephanus or Stephanus? Or later on when he he baptized the household of the Philippian jailer? Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the power of God. Now turn over to flip over a few pages. Let's let's look at First Corinthians chapter seven. We looked at the scripture last week. Verse 13, First Corinthians seven. Verse 13, and a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if she is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. Same is true for the man. If the man is is there, has a wife that's not a believer, and she's willing to stay, then, then let her stay. Do not divorce her. Verse 14, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Understand, that does not mean that wife or that husband is saved by marriage. That's not how we're saved. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. How then are they holy? In other words, that unbelieving spouse and those children, though this is a Jewish thing, they are now able to partake of the covenant because of the unbelieving, because of the believing spouse. So even though there's only one believing parent, those children are not considered illegitimate and unclean. They are able to partake of the covenant. In other words, we're going to raise these children up in Christ. We're going to make disciples of these babies. From the time they come out of the womb, we're going to disciple them. This is what Paul is saying. Hey, your children have a right to the covenant because of the believing spouse. Don't divorce that unbelieving spouse because you don't know if your faith might not save, be the very thing God uses to save that believing spouse. So you let them stay if they want to stay. If they leave, you're not under bondage. There's nothing you can do about that. But you don't expel them, excommunicate them because they're unbelieving. Because the hope is, as they participate in covenant community, the hope is that they will come to faith in Christ and the proof of their salvation is going to be their faith and the transformation of their life. You're going to know when they go from being unbelieving to believing. Well, what about the children? Are the children illegitimate? This was the question the Corinthian church had. The answer was no, those children will not be considered illegitimate or unholy or unclean because of the believing parent. Believing parent, you raise those children in the covenant. Now you disciple those children from birth to on up And treat them like members of the covenant so that they will come to faith in Christ. So the children aren't saved by marriage either. We're all saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But we don't exclude them from the covenant because they're to be brought into with the expectation of a transformed life. Now, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. How do we understand this idea of covenant from God's point of view? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I think, is very helpful. I'm going to read a few verses here, so bear with me. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that our fathers were under the cloud, our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Do you see that? That even in the Old Covenant, even when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, Paul is saying that rock that followed them, that rock that was spewing out water, that rock was Christ. All of those people that went through the Red Sea, they were all baptized into Moses. They all drank from the same spiritual rock. They all ate the same spiritual bread. Why? Because they were all children of the covenant. That's why. Now, look at verse 6. I'm sorry. Who, the rock, that rock was Christ, verse 5. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. They were covenant people, but the, the sign of the covenant didn't guarantee them anything. But with most, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples. To the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as were some of them, as it is written, the people who sat down to eat and drank and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them also complained, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, all these things happened to them as examples. Examples for who? Examples for us. And they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the age have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So they were all baptized. They all partook of God's covenant provision. They were all considered members of the covenant, but not all trusted, and not all entered into the promise. What determined whether they entered into the promise? It wasn't the fact that they were all baptized into Moses. It wasn't the fact that they were circumcised or not. The, the, the reality of entering into the promise was faith. It was faith. It was faith. All of those other things spoke of the faith that God expected to come forth to manifest in their life. The faith that Moses, that Aaron, that the priesthood, that the elders, that was expected to be manifest in the life of God's people. So they were all baptized, but they did not all enter into the promise. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 1 through 6. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one Baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So, we see that both circumcision and baptism were signs of a covenant. And they speak of the same expectation. They both speak of a life that pleases God. But I want you to notice the difference Circumcision spoke of the modification through the power of the flesh, through the works of the flesh and the law. It was justification by works, by the deeds of the law, by the deeds of the flesh. Romans 3.20 and Romans 3.28 says that, that no one, no flesh, is justified by the deeds of the law. Baptism speaks of a transformation through the power of the Spirit, by grace, through faith in Christ. Romans one says we're justified by Faith, and now we have peace with God. Hebrews 6.11 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Remember Paul in in 1 Corinthians 10, he says, They all drank of the same rock. They all ate of the same bread. They all came through the sea. They were all baptized. But most of them were not pleasing to God. Why? Because Hebrews also tells us they didn't enter into the promise because of unbelief. So faith is the thing that pleases God. Circumcision was an outward sign of an inward work under the Old Covenant. The sign of entrance into an Old Covenant that was the shadow of who was coming. Who was coming? It was the cut-off, crucified Messiah. So everything in the Old Covenant, everything in your Old Testament is painting a picture. It's a big flashing arrow pointing us to Christ. Those bearing the sign of circumcision were saved just the same as we are today, only through faith. The outward sign made with hands looked to an inward change of the heart. Without the manifestation of faith, without trusting God, the sign of the covenant, the outward sign, is empty. Thus, the children did not enter into the promise. What about baptism? The sign of entering into the new covenant. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward work under the new covenant. The sign of entrance into the new covenant whose substance is now Christ. Christ is now that substance. Those bearing the sign of baptism are saved only by grace through faith. They're not saved because they're going to get dunked in the water. They're not saved because they were baptized. They're saved by their faith. Faith must still manifest brian you've got a long life to live and your baptism today represents and speaks of an expectation that your life is going to manifest the faith of god and the promise of god to you is that you're not going to do that by yourself you're not going to do that through your own power you're going to do that because god has begun a good work in you and he will complete it until the day of jesus christ The outward sign of baptism is made with the expectation of an inward change of the heart and a life transformed by the power of the Spirit. Without the manifestation of saving faith, without trust and transformation, the outward sign is empty. So what did Jesus command us? Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. When did Jesus' disciples become born again? Do You know, the Bible does not speak of that. We don't know when. We know when Jesus called them to become disciples, but we don't know the moment they were born again. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 13. Look at this. And then Brian and I are, we're going to go change our clothes and we're going to baptize. Amen. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. Here is the most important thing that you need to understand about baptism. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members, But all the members of that one body, being many, are one body. We are many members, but yet the Bible says we are one body. Do you understand the community of believers? Do you understand the body of Christ in that way? Is this just a social gathering? Is your time of coming to church just about what you get out of it or about something else or some other thing or some tradition or Or do you understand that when we come together, whenever we come together, however we come together, we come together as the many who are one. But all the members of that one body, being many, are one body. So also is Christ. Look at verse 13. For by one Spirit, you know what Spirit that is, by the Holy Spirit, By one spirit, we were all baptized. We were all brought into. We were all placed into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. It is... The baptism of the Spirit. I'm not talking about a Pentecostal experience of you speaking in tongues or being filled with the Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what the Bible is talking about here. The Bible says there's one baptism. And it is the baptism of the Holy Spirit who places you into Jesus Christ. When the Holy Spirit places you into Jesus Christ, you know what's going to happen? Something's going to change. Because if any man be in Christ, the old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If the Holy Spirit has placed you into Christ, there is going to be a life transformation take place. Now, I don't care whether you were baptized as a baby. If you were baptized properly and taught properly, you would understand that that baptism spoke of an experience you would have one day when the Spirit of God would place you into Christ and your life would be transformed and your life would then confirm What happened at that baptism? If you're like me at the age of 24, after I had come to faith in Christ, because I wasn't raised in church, I wasn't raised in covenant, I didn't know anything about it. But when I came to faith in Christ, I realized something had happened to me, and my baptism spoke of an expectation that I had truly been, by the Spirit, brought into Christ, and that my life was truly transformed. In my life, then, the expectation was that my life would continue to manifest that, show that, and prove that out. Just like we raise our babies, we don't wait till our babies confess Christ to begin to disciple them. We begin to disciple them from the moment of their birth. And our expectation as parents is that that, those babies are going to grow up in faith in Christ, and their lives are going to manifest that more and more and more and more. Their baptism didn't make that happen any more than my baptism made that happen. What made that happen was the fact that the Spirit baptized me into Christ. The Spirit brought me into Christ. And that's when I was saved. That's how I can confess from a heart of faith my trust in God. That's how my life can be changed and transformed. Not by the power of the flesh, but by the power of the Spirit. So baptism into Christ is ultimately a work of the Spirit. It's not a work of man. And unless we are baptized by the Holy Spirit into the one spiritual body of Christ, we cannot be saved. This is the work of God's grace. And if you call upon His name, listen, if you're here today and you've never called upon the name of Jesus, if you call upon His name right now, right where you're sitting, the Bible says you will be saved. You have to believe that. Some people tell me it can't be that easy. No, it's that easy because you didn't do the work. He did the work on the cross. If you call upon his name, he will not put you to shame. If you call upon his name, whoever calls upon his name shall be saved. So that's why I said at the beginning of the service, If you have called upon his name and you've never been baptized, you need to be baptized. If you've never called upon his name and you just called upon his name sitting in that chair right there, you know what? You need to be baptized. Parents who want to baptize their babies, I will support them in doing that with the understanding that that baptism does not save them and that baptism speaks of an expectation that they're going to disciple those babies and grow those babies up in faith in Christ. And the true measure of their salvation is going to be faith manifesting in their life one day. And that faith manifesting in their life in a transformed life is going to be the evidence that they have been baptized with the baptism that counts that the Spirit of God has brought them into Christ. And their life confirms that they have truly been crucified and buried and raised in the life of Christ because they now manifest Christ who is their life. So ultimately, being baptized into Christ is an inward work of the Spirit made known through a transformed life. A transformed life of faith confirms the outward sign of water baptism and it confirms the Spirit's ongoing work of conforming us to the image of the Son of God in in our death, in our burial, in our resurrection, in the life of Christ. Listen, baptism does not look back. Baptism looks ahead. Brian, today, when you come out of that water, you come out not looking back, you come out looking ahead. Because your baptism speaks of the life that God has for you the transformation He's going to bring in your life and work in your life. Baptism looks ahead. It does not.